everyone, I'm Cheryl McNeil Fisher. Dr. Kathy King and I want you to know you are important to us. We are thrilled that you're here with us today for another episode of Writing Works Wonders. Welcome to Writing Works Wonders. We're so pleased you're with us for this terrific guest author interview with Barbara Hinsky from Mystery, Romance, and Inspiration to Guide Dogs, Facebook Stories, and a movie. Our guest has much to share with our readers and writers. So bring your guide dogs close to the speaker and buckle up, Buttercup, as we begin the celebration spectacular with your fellow bibliophiles at Writing Works Wonders. Today, we have not only our Zoom participants, but also welcome everybody live in Clubhouse. I'm Dr. Kathy King, and I'm so pleased to introduce you to my fabulous co-host, Cheryl McNeil-Fisher. Hey there, Kathy. Hi, everybody. So glad to be here. Thank you very much. I'm very pleased to introduce you all to Barbara Hinsky. Barbara is a USA Today bestselling author of the beloved Rosemont series, the Guiding Emily series, her Sweet Christmas series, and the mystery, thriller, and suspense novels in her Who's There collection and much more. She and her husband share their own Rosemont with two adorable and spoiled dogs. I did not put that in there. She is besotted with decorating, entertaining, cooking, and gardening. And she also says that now that her novel, The Christmas Club, has been turned into a Hallmark movie, she is completely starstruck and thrilled to have her work on the screen. Barbara Hinsky is an attorney who recently left the practice of law to pursue her career as a full-time novelist. Her Guiding Emily series was conceived during a tour of the Foundation for Blind Children. She was inspired and moved by their mission and is donating half of proceeds from the first book, Guiding Emily, to the foundation. I will mention that the Guiding Emily series is available in Bard or Bookshare. Over to you, Cheryl. Thank you. Hi, Barbara. We're so glad you're here. Welcome. Thank you. I am thrilled to be with you both. (laughs) You had a father that was a storyteller. Could you tell us how that has affected you in your writing? Absolutely. Thank you for that. So when I was a child, my dad would read to me every night and would oftentimes go off the page to see if I noticed. He started that with the Laura Ingle Wilder's Little House in the Prairie series, and he would make up all kinds of things until I would start giggling and then catch him on that. I mean, that continued. I think we loved that. And he read to me far longer than you would normally read to a child, but it was our special thing. When he retired, he began writing whodunits, never tried to get anything published. And so when he passed, I inherited his boxes of his manuscripts, which were quite clever. He was, he was a very intelligent person and had interesting scholarly pursuits. So I enjoyed them. And I always thought, well, I'm practicing law. When I retire, I'll see if I can't do some editing and get them published. But then, you know, life has a way of putting your feet on a different path. And in 2010, I broke my neck in a car accident, was in a neck brace, double vision, couldn't work, read, be on a computer, nothing. But my lower body was fine. All I could do was walk. So I would walk and walk and walk, was bored, and I came up with my own 
series in my mind, my Rosemont series. I remember hearing my dad's voice in my head, Barb, write your own book. Don't just worry about mine, write your own book. So that's kind of how his influence has molded me. Thank you. You have a couple different genres that you write. And the fast-paced mystery, do you think that comes from your dad's part? Well, your law background as well, right? Well, yes, absolutely. I'm I personally love reading mysteries, spent a lot of my childhood under the covers with a flashlight and everything Agatha Christie always wrote. So I love that fast page turner kind of style. So that influenced it. But in terms of my law practice, it seems like even though I write a lot of sweet Christmas and a lot of women's fiction, I always have a little bit of of mystery and suspense in there. There's murder, arson, lots of financial fraud and embezzlement. I was a business lawyer. I understand those things. Those things intrigue me. I've had found old brooches of Van Cleef's in Arpel brooch. In one of my later Rosemont books, I'm going to have a rare stamp. I've had rare books. I like reading about that stuff. I like thinking about that stuff. I like collecting things. So I think all of those things just funnel into my work and even in guiding Emily which is my series about a visually impaired, about a blind woman. I thought, no, I don't need mystery, thriller, suspense in there. But in my last book, there's just a little smidgy I could go that way with some cybersecurity breaches and someone internally who might have been complicit in selling access to the company's data. So my editor said to me, you're doing it again. I thought we weren't going to go there. (laughs) I'm like, well, it just kind of my, you know, my steering wheel just keeps me there. I find that your inspir- your books are also inspirational, uplifting, giving hope, like your most recent, The Wishing Tree. How did you get involved with that series? Yeah, and I love writing inspirational, hopeful stories because I'm committed. There's so much in life, particularly in the last three or four years, that has been very difficult. So we don't need to go there. We need to move into something else. And I'm part of a Facebook, a group, a Facebook group, private Facebook group called My Book Friends, and anybody can join it. There are 12 of us founding authors, and we primarily write women's fiction, cozy mystery, and sweet Christmas stories. And so a subset of that group said, let's do a connected series. I had never done that before, and they were all novellas. So that's you know, it takes me about three weeks to write one of these. So that's a doable time commitment. And they came up with a fictional town called Linden Falls. It's kind of like Stars Hollow from Gilmore Girls. And all of us authors are like, oh, God, we so want to move to Linden Falls. There's a Linden tree on the town square it is called the wishing tree. And the folklore is you tie your wish write it out, tie it with a string onto the tree, and then the tree will grant your wish at the appropriate time. So the whole series is full of these interconnected characters who you would love to be friends with all of them. Everybody wants to go to the Crooked Porch Cafe and get their hair done at Curl Up and Die and all that kind of stuff. And Neva's shop at the inn. It's been a challenge because we have to keep track of the settings And we have to keep track of each other's characters. You can't talk about somebody's son when somebody else says that they have daughters, you know? So it's forced this this group of authors also to collaborate. And now we've all 
all across the world and we've become quite close as friends. It's been such a lovely experience and they're quick reads. Now we're up to, I think, 13 wishing as of next Thursday, there'll be 13 wishing tree books. They're fast and they're fun. I appreciate yours and I like the way it ended. Thank you. I'll turn it over to Kathy. Hello, Barbara. You've written two books about people who are blind and their guide dogs. I really enjoyed how you explained the training of the dog and the tremendous need and the journey of Emily as she went from visual impairment into blindness. Would you tell us more about how those books developed? We've heard about you visited this foundation and all. How did you conceive the concept for the books and why did you decide to pursue this? Thank you for asking that. I am more proud of the Guiding Emily series than I am of anything else, including the Christmas Club, which was made into a movie. You'd think that would be my favorite, but no, it is the Guiding Emily series because of what I perceive as the good it is doing in the world. I started in 2018. Was it 2018? 2019. I was sitting at a table at a, at a black tie fundraiser for a local library, seated next to the development director for the Foundation for Blind Children, which is a mile from my house. I had never, I've lived here for 40 years and had never been in it. And he said, oh, you you and your husband have to come for a tour. So we went the next week and the foundation serves children and adults. I was so moved in that tour of seeing what they were accomplishing. And we got to their Braille library. They have a big Braille production operation, big old check on the wall from Major League Baseball for two, for a million bucks. And I turned to Steve and said, the development director, and said, you know, I want to check on that wall from me, but I wanted to be two million bucks. And he said, oh, that'd be great, except I'm not rich. And I thought, okay, but I can write a book and a book can raise funds. And I turned to him and I said, so the the idea just sprang from my mind. And I said, what else do you need besides money? And he said, we need to raise awareness within the sighted community of how isolated blind people can feel. And that so struck home. I, When I was practicing law, there was a blind gentleman on the floor above me. And we had met, but we didn't work together. But we had met. And if I would see him in the hallway or something, I would get out of his way, thinking I was being helpful, but I wouldn't speak to him. And now I know well, that just isolated him. Of course, he knew I was there. He could hear me breathing and stuff. What I should have said was, hey, Steve, it's Barb from Lingle. How are how you doing today? So I learned and I thought, you know what, I need to shine a light on this and I can write about isolation. The foundation was incredibly supportive and generous to me and doing my research opened me up to their doctors. They gave me white cane training. A group of newly blind adults signed waivers and let me sit in their counseling sessions as going through all of the trauma and depression and all of that despair of losing their sight and then climbing back out as they learn skills. Just while I'm there in this tour, I said, you know, I'm going to write a book about a woman who loses her sight. And parallel to that, in the first book, there is a guide dog, Garth, who goes from a puppy to a guide dog. And spoiler alert, but at the end of the book, they come together. That's why it's Guiding Emily. So I was able to network my way into the back end of Guide Dogs for the Blind in San Rafael, California. I traveled there and spent three weeks with them being so kind and really putting me into the back end of their operation to see how that went. 
So from February of 2019 to publication in June of 2020, which is incredibly fast for the amount of research that that book entailed. Boy, that's a long-winded answer. And I apologize, but I'll tell you what, the thing I am most proud of in my life is that I get at least weekly emails from people, newly blind adults who tell me that Guiding Emily has given them hope. If I never do anything else to be proud of, I am proud of that. Well, I greatly appreciated your work in it and can totally understand now that you explain the research that you did, how you were able to accurately convey that experience. Many of us on this call, including myself, have recently lost vision just three years ago. So it is a a huge change in our lives, and you're familiar with the changes that brings in all dimensions of it. And you've captured a lot of that. I don't use a guide dog yet, so it was really helpful to understand that process. You introduced me in a different way to something I'm not familiar with, even though I'm in the blind community. So I think your work is doing a great deal of good, and we really appreciate that. And I know a lot of folks on this call are going to want to talk to you about it because they love their guide dogs, and you do a great job with them. I will mention to listeners Both of those books are available on Bookshare. At this time, I could not find them on Bard, but I was able to listen to them on Bookshare. I wanted to move over to your Christmas Club book that you mentioned in passing. We've already mentioned and you've mentioned that it's got turned into a Hallmark movie. I know our writers' ears are perked up about that. How did that come about for you, Barbara? And it's not the traditional, the Christmas Club is not the traditional Hallmark romance. It's based loosely on a homily I heard from a sermon in church 30 years ago about, and and the moral of the story is do kind things for people, but do them in a nice way so that they're not feeling beholden. You know, you don't always need to do nice things where people pat you on the back and say, oh, how good it is. We all love that. I love that kind of, I love to get recognized, but sometimes that isn't the right thing to do. Just do the nice thing because it is the nice thing. That was the homily. And that kind of is, that is in the book. But when I first published the book, I would get earlier views that this would be perfect for Hallmark. And I thought, you know what, I would love that. So I'm in Phoenix, Arizona. I don't know anybody at Hallmark, but I asked like a crazy person, every single solitary person I knew that I ran into at Costco, at the grocery store, wherever, do you know anybody at the, at the Hallmark channel? at Hallmark. Could you make a connection for me? And you know what? Finally, somebody at at Costco, no less, said to me, well, my neighbor at the cabin is John Eskinas, and he's the executive producer of Good Witch, um, and Good Witch is their most successful franchise. Do you want me to give him a copy of your book? I'm like, oh, absolutely. I couldn't get a copy to her fast enough. And within three weeks, I was in talks with John Eskinas, When I went to filming for a week, I took signed copies of my book to give out to people and gave John his. We were sitting in the video village, which is where people sit with all the monitors and they watch the filming and all that kind of stuff. And we got to sit there like we were big cheeses and had our own little chairs and our little headphones and all. Anyway, John turns to everybody during a break and said, do you want to know when I knew I needed to make this into a movie? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to know. So he opened the book, read the first two paragraphs, and at the end of the second paragraph, he said, that's when I knew I needed to make this into a movie. It stars Elizabeth Mitchell, who had never done anything for Hallmark before she was in Lost and kind of played more 
can I say it, badass characters. But her mother had read The Christmas Club and had contacted her like the year before to say, Elizabeth, find out if the screenwrites have been been bought and I want you to play, you know, the main character, Carol, in this. So that's how she got involved. Cameron Matheson is the male lead who is one of their biggies. Anyway, turned out to be their most successful movie in 2019. And they still play it when they, well, probably starting pretty soon now in November, they start showing the old successful Christmas movies. So I'm sure it will be on the Hallmark Channel again. That's fabulous. What a great (laughs) story. Great story. (laughs) Fabulous. Excellent. Across your career as a writer, could you describe one or two challenges you may have encountered and how you dealt with them? Yes. There are a couple of things, certainly, and I'm traditionally published in audio, but self-published in print and ebook. And it is a lot of work to be an indie author, but not as much work as people will tell you it is. And there's so much discouragement from well-meaning friends and family. So don't listen to that. First of all, get yourself connected to another group of authors who are doing what you want to be doing and pay attention to them. Draft along with successful people. There are too many naysayers. Don't listen to that. Also, I keep myself informed for the first couple of years. I bet I spent three hours a night just reading at the time it was blogs and things like that on how to to be a successful indie author and marketer. And I still keep myself informed on a daily basis. I listen to Clubhouse. I attend lots of podcasts and things. And so you're always, there's always going to be something new. I'm good about trying new things. And I've just learned to be good about saying, you know what? That doesn't work for me. TikTok is one. I spent a lot of time and took some classes on how to be successful on TikTok. And I think my posts were good, but my market is not there. My, my readers are not there. It wasn't productive for me and also the formatting on a cell phone was was too hard on my eyes so I think it's good to try things but I also think it's good to set your boundaries and limits and give yourself permission to back off of things that don't serve you and to realize that you can't do it all what works for someone else may not work for you but something will work for you that's really good advice it sounds like you're doing what I call a cost-benefit evaluation. Is it working for you? And how much resources are you putting into it? Where are your readers? Excellent. You're reading your market. Great. Mm -hmm. And uh, persevering beyond naysayers, finding groups. We hear that often, and that's what we encourage as well. Excellent. Thank you for that. Over to you, Cheryl. Okay, I'm just going to ask this one question before we open it up. I know we have people continually coming in. You have the night train and bedtime or nighttime stories, and it's on Facebook, and you can sign up. It comes right into my email. Yes. I have two questions with that. How did you and why did you start this? And then... Also, how is this unique way of reaching out to your readers? How is that helping you in your writing career? Thank you. I'm glad you asked that. Back, I think it was in 2013 when I was just getting started to try and market my work. I was on Facebook. I think I regularly maybe would get 20 people looking at a post, really small. And one night I saw this great picture of an old time looking train on a trestle, snow covered, 
like in the Alps, this red train, beautiful picture. I thought, gosh, that, that could be really spooky. What if you were stranded on that train on that trestle and woke up and you were the only person on the train except for a dead body or somebody who's really seriously mm-hmm. injured? Wouldn't that be that's where my mind goes. So I just <laughs> I shared the picture with these few little things about, you know, just I made up the first three sentences of a story and shared it on Facebook and went from like six likes or six shares or whatever to like 6,500 overnight. (gasps) So I reposted and said, check back Monday through Thursday for the night train, a thriller. This is on a Thursday. I wake up Friday morning and think, oh my gosh, what have I done? (laughs) And you know, you can't really just pants a thriller because you got to know where you're going. So you don't page yourself into a corner. So that resulted in a weekend spent, you know, in my pajamas, no shower, no makeup, um, just banging out the night train, which I decided, which I called a Facebook bedtime story needed to be 100 to 300 words that would develop plot, develop character and end on a cliffhanger. I learned more about the craft of writing and doing that. I'll tell you. And I ran them out four nights a week, Facebook bedtime stories, wildly successful. So I said, okay, I did two more. I did one called um, the enchanted bookshop and one called silver and scotch. And I decided, well, what am I going to do with these? They're available on my website. You don't even have to wait for them under the blog tab bedtime stories and you click and find them. But I also decided to make them autoresponders on my newsletter. So if you sign up for my newsletter at barbarahinsky.com, then I think it's every third day you'll get a new installment. I think they're better read that way because they're not fully fleshed. If you read it as a short story, you're like, oh, this is so brief. But they're for people who don't have time to read. I was amazed. I went to my primary care physician. He said, oh, by the way, I love that. I don't know. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. I had no idea. He said, I have no time to read, but it's mm-hmm. just, you know, it takes me just a few minutes and it's like somebody telling me a story. So I've recommended that to other people. It's like money in the bank and it isn't all that difficult to do. Thank you. Okay. Chanel, we'll go to questions. First up is Carol Mackey. Barbara, thank you so much. I've read some of your books and now I am inspired to write more. I have two questions for you. The first one is in reference to the guide dog story, Guiding Emily, that I really want to read that. When you were in the process of doing that, did you spend any time as a blind person? Did they put on a scarf on you and you had to be blind with the guide dog and with a, a cane, et cetera? Yes, I did. I got to wear the, the glasses that replicated blindness, but I did have a pinprick of clear vision in the middle of my left eye. So I got oh, to do that for white cane training. They did that at Guide Dogs for the Blind for Juno training and then just walking with a guide dog. And this is by no means near blindness, but I've had my own little little stint of visual impairment through during COVID. I had a number of eye surgeries. I had residual double vision from that accident in 2010, your business surgery on that. And I couldn't drive. I could function pretty well at home. Computer was tough. 
I did get into Costco one time. My husband walked away from me and I couldn't find my way to the front of the store. I could find my way to the end of an aisle. My husband's hard of hearing, so he wasn't hearing his cell phone. Yeah. And by the time he wandered back and found a very upset wife, he was smart enough to just fall on the sword and apologize. But I have to tell you, I felt, you know, I'm in Costco. I know nothing's going to happen to me. And eventually somebody's going to wander over and ask if they can help me. Intellectually, I knew I was fine, but I was fully panicked. So I had just a smidgy of a taste of that. Thank you. Because that means a lot, I suspect, to others who are living with with blindness or, or serious visual impairment to know that you lived it. So you have a real gut sense of what it means. My second question is, of course, and they're laughing at me because I always want to know about process, about your writing process. Do you write every day? How long do you have a time that I'm going to write it from X time to the other time? What is your process? I'm always interested in knowing that. It's very helpful to me. (laughs) And it's, it's evolved over time. When I was still working full time, my husband would go out of town for 10 days in the summer every year on business. And I would take that time off and I would try and bang out 20 to 25,000 words in that time period. And it was just brutal. What I do now, but it gave me a good start on a book. What I do now is I will write five days a week with a goal of 2,500 words a day. So that's real doable for me. It's a little slower in the beginning and goes faster at the end of a book. I'll write in two tranches. I'll write maybe mid-morning to before lunch. I get up early, so I eat lunch around 11, 30. And then I'll, I take a long break. And then I'll write another two hours in the afternoon and call it quits. So my goal is to get 10,000 words a week. My target goal for a novel is 60,000. So I try and write a, and that's a decent first draft because I write with a writing coach. I can talk about that if you want, but In six weeks, I have a good first draft. It's been run through pro writing aid. So a lot of those crazy issues that that can fix are addressed. And what I try and do now is it's been developmental edited along the way because I've worked with my writing coach. So after that first draft, I let it rest a couple of weeks and then I'll go back, do a read aloud edit and then send it off to line editing. And that's my process. Next, we have Pam Johnson. Hello, Barbara. How are you? Um, I think um, it's interesting you're an attorney. Um, you ha- I guess you have a lot of experiences, legal and otherwise, to draw from. Thank you. Yes. It, yes, I did have experience, particularly with financial fraud. I was a, a business lawyer. I worked for banks and title companies. So I had a lot of that grist in my mill to use in my writing, you know, in terms of writing itself, I was, you know, wrote contracts and that kind of stuff that wasn't particularly helpful. Although, you know, I didn't know, have a good grasp of grammar and all that sort of stuff. I have a question about Amazon. When you started your book, did you start using Kindle Unlimited right away? Or is that something you have tried? And how is that working for you? Thank you. I don't think Kindle Unlimited was a thing when I started, but I've done it for years and years because I get like 45% of my income from KU. My readers are in KU. I would not make that money up 
in any way, shape or form if I was wide. So I really recommend, if anybody's familiar with Mark Dawson, who runs self-publishing formula franchise and that group of resources for writers, he's a big advocate of being in KU. I think if you want to make money, you almost have to be. Thank you. Because I know there's benefits to having it the other way. After Alice is Deanna Noriega. Hello. I'd like to know if your movie on Hallmark is the same title as your book, The Christmas Club. And also, did you have anything to do with the script or did you just sign rights that you gave to them the the book itself? And were you pleased with the movie afterwards, it sounds as if you were, but I, I can remember one book in particular that I read and then watched the Hallmark movie, and the r- script writers had changed it so significantly. So I hope they didn't change your book that way. Thank you for asking that. Yes, I was lucky that they kept the name of the movie, The Christmas Club, the same as the book. I ha- I didn't write the screenplay. I had no control over that. I knew that they were going to, my book is set in 1952, and it really is kind of a pay it forward focus on more on brotherly love and and love of your fellow man and doing nice things. Hallmark took it, made it current, and made it a Hallmark romance, but they did a beautiful job with it. And they, when I, I was there for a week of filming, and during that week, the middle week, they got word we were in Canada they got word from Kansas City that they were going to put extra money into the production and produce it up to Hallmark Hall of Fame standards because they were so happy with what they were seeing that was thrilling having said so it's a beautiful movie and I love it honestly and forgive me I'm the author maybe I'm not objective I think the book is more profound because it looks at love in a broader context than romantic love in the book a woman, I'll just start it. So woman comes out of the bank. She has her purse in her hand at this older, hardworking woman in 1952. And she has her Christmas club savings in her purse. If you're old enough to know what a Christmas club was at the bank, you would go in every week, put money into it. And then at the holidays, you would take it out with interest to do your Christmas shopping. And they'd usually give you some little gift, a toaster or something like that. So she's got her money, slips on the ice, her purse opens and the six $5 bills, 30 bucks that she saved all year blows to the wind. A young lawyer man sees her, helps her up, takes her into the bank and says, I'm going to go look for your money. Well, of course the money's gone. It's windy. It's Chicago or it's Cleveland, but he's got five $5 bills in his purse in his wallet and says, well, I'll give these to her. A woman who sees the same thing is with him and says, well, here, I have a five. They pull their money, give it back to her. So she thinks, okay, they were kind. They found my money, not, oh, they felt sorry for this poor old lady. They're giving me money. And meanwhile, each of those six $5 bills is found by someone who does something kind for someone else. Okay. I I think that would have made a good story too. But at any rate, that's a long-winded answer. But I do think the movie is beautiful and it's nice. I just want to say, please don't apologize for long-winded answers. These aren't long-winded at all. Very good. We appreciate it. Thank you. (laughs) And I want to say one more thing. Since we were there for filming, they treated us like royalty. It was so fun. And they put my husband and I in as extras. He actually is (laughs) on the screen. I am, but I got... 
I had a long scene where I'm eating cheesecakes. So for two hours of filming, I'm eating a cheesecake, which was no problem because I love cheesecake. And I, <laughs> two hours, I assure you, but it was a lot of fun. And so it's been a real kick for my friends and family to say, oh, there's mom on the screen. <laughs> That's great. So Barbara, not only were you an extra, but they fed you cheesecake. How cool is that? Right? <laughs> yeah. What do you find to be the most rewarding aspect of your writing process? What do you enjoy the most about writing, Barbara? In terms of the actual writing process, I like sitting with my laptop on my lap in my little writing chair and just having people appear on the page and go back and forth. And I do have a little bit, I have a pretty good outline when I started. I work with a writing coach. And so when I'm contemplating a new book, I'll put down the character arcs that I want to develop. And then we'll, how for, I don't exactly have a, an outline plot that I stick to, but I'm not a pantser. So I'll have a good idea what I'm going to do in the in the next chapters I'm going to write and where I'm going to take it and an idea of, oh, this character has been off the page too long. We need to bring them back in. Then the second thing in terms of being a writer, there's also the business side, the marketing side. And I absolutely love reader contact. That interaction with readers is just so affirming and gratifying. So I love that. And the third thing I guess I love is when your book is made into a movie, because that's just all kinds of fun. (laughs) I have sold the screen rights to Guiding Emily and the option has been exercised and I'll get to go as a consultant on set. And I had a little bit of creative control on that. We'll see how that goes. You know, you get the first one you do, you're a nobody. So you really can't ask for much. You're not going to get much. You just have to cross your fingers and hope. Thank you so much. Go ahead. Yes. First up, we have Deanna Noriega, then Amy. Good afternoon, everyone. One of the things I was curious about when you were working with Guide Dogs for the Blind, did you actually go under blindfold and work a dog? Yes. Although, you know, I mean, somebody was there with me, obviously. But yeah, I had to do that. Yeah, because a lot of people think that it's it's something really automatic that you get this dog that just knows everything and all you have huh. to do is hold on. <laughs> and that really isn't how it goes. Um, oh, yeah. You're in control. Yeah. Yeah. Next up, we have Amy. Hi, Barbara and everybody else. It's great to have you. I just realized that I have seen your movie. Oh, good. describing it. Yes. And it was outstanding to me because... Yeah. It was a pay it forward movie and it was kind of nice to see that as a Hallmark movie instead of, I know exactly what's going to happen. Cause yeah. I, I find a lot of their movies are like, Oh, I know what's going to happen. And this one was refreshing. So thanks for that. Thank you. Um, and they need to fight to keep it a little different. Yeah. yeah I love that about it. And I, my question for you was what was your feeling when you first got the news that you were being published? Well, okay. So I wasn't, I didn't get a traditional contract. So I self-published. I'm an indie publisher. So I, you know, when your first book came out then. When my first book came out, well, I remember thinking, okay, it was December 12th. And, you know, I think I sold 30 books to friends and family that month. And I remember thinking, okay, well, 
this is this is good. Um, I was worried I write under my maiden name because I was worried I would embarrass myself as a lawyer. If, if my writing was horrible, I'd be humiliated. Oh, and, you know, I just kind of was thinking, oh, well, it, you know, people seem to like it. Maybe I should write a sequel. And this was in 2013. I applied for a BookBub ad. BookBub was just starting. That's the big newsletter service. And they accepted me for July 4th. And so I thought, oh, my gosh, should I even do this? They're going to charge me $300. I'm probably going to lose it. And I thought, oh, well, I can afford it. July 4th, BookBub ad for coming to Rosemont, my first book. I'm just not paying attention. I'm doing my thing on July 4th. And in the evening, I just looked to see, well, I wonder if I sold any books. I sold 10,000 books. Oh, thousand. I was number <laughs> two in the entire Amazon. Wow. I sold more than Stephen King and Dean Coots that day. <laughs> and wow. that was, you know, I'm just sitting there fat, dumb and happy thinking, well, I wonder what's going to happen. But for some reason, maybe there were enough people in my genre that just needed something to read on July 4th. And <laughs> that happened. The magic happened and it, my career took off. So then I got busy and wrote that next book because people wanted the next book. Well, congratulations. Yes. Yeah. So yes. even magic, magic does happen. It yes. happens all the time. Yeah. And thank you. Thank you for that so much. That keeps giving everybody hope. Thank you. Yeah, let's take our hand in Clubhouse. Okay, we have Nikki. Nikki, would you like to go ahead and take us? Hey, everybody. Hi, Barbara. Nice to hear you today. I was just curious. I got introduced to you because I started, I read Guiding Emily and the sequel, and I loved them. And I know that in many ways, the story was kind of wrapped up. But I'm just curious if you're ever planning a third book, just to kind of see what happens from there. Because, I mean, I'm a true romantic, and I just, I want to see what happens. Thank you for asking. Yes, I have written over every hurdle, over every hurdle, which with more guide dogs in it, it comes out November 3rd on Amazon. So that's the sequel. And I loved writing that one so much. I got busy and have just finished writing the fourth book, which is going to be called Down the Aisle. That'll be published next year. I'm going to start editing it next week. I mean, I just finished writing it. I love that series. It's a powerful series. There's a, I still need to, I still want to showcase because I get a lot of emails from sighted people say, oh, and if you look at the reviews, oh, I didn't know blind people could do that. Oh, I didn't know. <laughs> so within, in the employment context, Emily is a programmer and I show her right. being very capable, a teacher, yes. Stephanie, very capable. I need to continue that so the sighted community sees all of that. And Emily's going to get married and she's going to have children. It's down the oh, aisle. I don't awesome. think that's a spoiler for Yeah. And I need to show the sighted community that he was course, starting to have, that was starting up in the last, in the set, in the end of the last book, you know, I wanted that to continue. Oh, yeah, and it will continue because the sighted community needs to see that all of that is available. So I plan to continue it as long as it's a successful series. I love those people. I build in enough characters. I also have a character on the spectrum. His name is Drav. He is a India. Yes. Indian oh, man. yeah. Yeah. And his yeah. journey. I love him. I love yeah. him too. He's really a great character. He's yeah. based upon a lawyer who used to work mm-hmm. for me, actually. Yeah. 
I love seeing his romance bloom too. That has been really cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, I won't keep anybody else from answering questions, but thank you so much. I, I, I'm so glad to hear that. I'm so excited to read them. Thank you for asking. Thank you. A little bit okay. of a break. I'd also like people to know that Guiding Emily is available in Braille from the Foundation for Blind Children. Um, oh, it was nice. transcribed through a pilot program with our prison system. And so one of the inmates did that and he and I exchanged signed copies and it was really a, a sweet experience and just showing how all of this book has reached out into all different kinds of areas. Snippets of it are used by the Missouri Department of Education on their standardized testing to raise awareness. Gosh, it's just crazy. Thank you. That's great. And how can people reach you, Barbara? I'm certainly on Amazon. My website is www.barbarahinsky.com. I'm at email at bhinsky at gmail.com and Facebook, Barbara Hinsky, and then all the other place, Instagram and blah, blah, blah. We've learned so much from you. This has just been wonderful. <laughs> and we, we appreciate you. Thank you, Barbara, for being with us today on Writing Works Wonders. We hope we can have you back again after some more of your Guiding Emily books come out. We appreciate all you're doing for raising awareness in the community and the way you're reaching several other communities as well. It's very encouraging and exciting to see the work that you're doing with your writing. Thank you so much for having me. I would love to come back. We didn't even touch on some of the guide dog things. And so I just love to, but thank you for all that you do for your community. I think that's wonderful. Thank you. Be sure to visit writingworkswonders.com for these show notes, resources, and previous episodes. You will also find many opportunities to write and participate in Writing Works Wonders events. Above all else, we want you to be encouraged, inspired, and enjoy the wonders of writing. We look forward to being with you next time. Would anyone like to read the response to their prompts from last week? Chanel? Yes, first up we have Lisa. Thank you. All right. Broken streets. One day outside, I seemed to have a foreign object in my foot. I called my foot doctor and could be taken if I came now. I didn't have my cane. I was in familiar territory. I thought I could travel several straight blocks and take the appointment. As I walked, all of a sudden, my knees hit the concrete, then my wrist jammed into it, then my cheek. Lastly, my rear end went up in the air. Town's beautification project had grossly popped up. When will towns consult pedestrians, especially disabled, on what is needed? Thank you. We do have four or five posts on the website that people posted their responses. Mm -hmm. So I encourage folks to go to the website and click writing prompts and you'll be able to read those. To Marlene and then Alice. A Gift from Heaven by Patricia Hubsman. A $20 bill lay on the sidewalk as we came out of the Chinese buffet. Kevin bent down and picked it up. Thanks, Aunt Gloria, he said. You just treated us to lunch. Despite my sadness, I laughed. Aunt Gloria passed away a few days earlier. 
we had gone to her funeral that morning. She was dad's only sister and so wonderful. She was now our guardian angel. The end. Miss Abby. Okay, this is called eight track Recon- reconciliation. Ten years up, ten years ago, dad washed his hands of me because I made a bad choice. I still kept in touch with mom and my brother, and they begged me to come home because, thanks to cancer, dad would die soon. Now, here I was in front of my parents' house where I'd found on the sidewalk the first eight-track cartridge dad gave me along with the player in 1969. It was time. The end. Thank you. Thanks, Abby. Thank you. Next up is Pam Johnson. The heart of fun. One day, not a windy, leaves are falling, pine cones everywhere day, but just a plain old fall day. I wandered into Safeway. I feel comfortable about going into Safeway with a fisher white cane that I have. I feel comfortable about roaming miles. Well, I went past the counter, turned right, looking for the customer service desk. I always lose the customer service desk, no matter what I do. It's almost like they took it away when I was there and then put it back in its place. But anyway, I started surfing the first aisle before the second aisle, <laughs> and there was a rack, a spinning rack. And I grabbed this pair of fuzzy slippers with puppy dogs on the toes. I accidentally found them out of nowhere, and I was looking for a pair of winter slippers. And I took them and tried them on. They fit. Then I went to find the customer service desk back in its regular place. Good size, too. So I told the customer service desk a few things I wanted, and then afterwards I tried on the slippers again. They fit. And the customer service person liked them, too. Even though they were kids, they were perfect. I bought them, and even though they were for kids, they were cute, fun, and fuzzy, and I wore them until they wore out, puppy dogs and all. Even though I'm not a kid, I'm one at heart. The end. (laughs) Thank you. And next up. I'm the one that goes around by Starry. Um, so I wrote my 100 words or less okay. uh, response to the prompt just now. It's called Memories and Hope. I'm reminded of the time of after teddy bears and fairies and learning mythology and fairy rides across the sticks. A random tennis ball clutched in my hand found in the grass at the edge of the sidewalk, a squirrel darting in a tree. I still imagine one day playing with my guide dog on the beach under a full moon with the sound of the tide sloshing against the rocks. Before we close up, Kathy, I'm going to read mine, okay? Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Stop. Jesse jumped out of the car, scooped up something white and fluffy before the car came to a complete stop. No tears, no dirt. Truly, 
a gift from above. That night, my husband placed in my arms an unbelievable surprise. I held a soft white teddy bear wearing a red Christmas dress with a get well card that read, to Sparky, love and hug Cheryl. Two years ago, I gifted my friend with this pristine bear. Now I look into those giant sparkling eyes and hear a whisper from above. Hey girl, I'm here and I love you right back. That's it. 99 words. Thank you. True story. Thanks, Cheryl. <laughs> It's amazing. You know, like I've tried to write this over and over and over again with hundreds of words. And then I put it down into this hundred words real quick. My friends were going along the road, saw this white thing alongside. She stopped, picked it up. It was a bear, this big sitting bear of about 24 inches. And it's got these big round ball eyes. They're black and they just look like they're laughing at you. And when my husband came home with that, it's amazing. It was not dirty. I don't know how, how long it was there, what, where it came from, but it was the bear that I gave her when she was in the hospital. So that was pretty cool. Over. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for joining us today on Writing Works Wonders. Kathy and I are thrilled to spend time with you. A tap on that button that says subscribe so you will not miss our show. You can also tap on the link for writingworkswonders.com. It'll take you directly to all the show notes and information that we shared today. Then you can sign up to receive the Zoom link so that you can be live with us when we are recording. You can also contact us at info at writingworkswonders.com. Our phone number is 347-467-0221. We also have a donate button. All donations go to technical expenses that Kathy and I incur in order to keep this podcast going. Kathy and I want you to feel encouraged and inspired and know the wonder in writing. And until next time, our friends, keep on writing. Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff.